Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we talk to another guest about their life and their background in the martial arts, and, and today's guest is Dr. Mark Chang. He's the founder of the K3 Combat Movement Systems. How are you doing today, Mark? Good, Brian. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. It's uh, colder than it has been here. I'm in Minnesota, and I think it's only about you know, 40 or 50 degrees right now. We had a 70, 80 degrees a couple days ago, and now it's starting to cool off a little bit. So uh, you're in, are you in California right now? I am. I am. I'm in the eastern edge of L.A. County, so okay. I'm still kind of in L.A., nice. um, and it's it's pretty comfortable here right now. Yeah, I miss that. I, I lived in, I actually used to work in La Habra. I actually lived up in the, hmm. in the high desert in Hesperia back in 96, 97, so I used to commute to La Habra every day for work, so I, I definitely miss California in the winter for sure. Yeah, La Habra is not too far away from where I live. I'm I'm based in Diamond Bar, so oh yeah, that's right. my that's I know Diamond Bar, so cool. As we do with all my guests, just kind of go back to the beginning and talk about your your initial start to martial arts. Is this something where yeah, at what age you started, and was it was it your choice, was it your parents' choice, and kind of what got you first going in martial arts? Oh, it was definitely my choice. Um, I think my parents, because of the demographic that they belong to, the age the age range and the demographic they belong to, um, they were of the thought process that martial arts were something that like if you have to do it you do it for health um but most of the people that they thought of as as do as being very serious in terms of martial arts were people who um you know were troublemakers were gangsters were thugs were the people of that ilk so they or people who wanted to fight all the time and they would prefer that their only child was like more into academia more into you know music more into something of that of that nature so when it came to martial arts i was the one driven for that like i was the one that, that was definitely hungry to learn it and so uh, interestingly my father um, gave me my first intro to martial arts and that was really through tai chi of all things okay um, i remember as a kid i was watching him do this kind of slow movement exercise and i was like watching him practice and i thought that is the weirdest looking stuff i've ever seen and so I looked at him as, as a kid and I was like probably nine or almost 10 at the time. And I just like, I remember watching him in one afternoon and just thinking, what the heck? And then, so I asked him, I was like, dad, what is that that you're doing? And he goes, this is Tai Chi. It's martial arts. And like when he told me that was martial arts, that slow moving weird stuff was martial arts. I was like, that's martial arts. And I started busting up. <laughs> and so he was like, well, if you don't, think it's martial arts so why don't you just come and hit me and try and punch me in the face as hard as you can and i'm as a 10 year old boy you're like really are you sure <laughs> and he's like yeah go ahead and so i teed off i remember i just i i went for it and i remember barely feeling him deflect me he locked my arm and sent me sailing through the air wow. i remember i hit the wall my back hit the wall probably like with my feet three feet up off the ground and then i slid down the wall and i remember thinking cool i've got to learn this so my dad was really responsible i think more so than almost anyone else for making me really aside from just the stuff i'd seen in, in entertainment mm -hmm. and the big screen making me really hungry to learn more about martial arts and really to his credit and to the credit of Taiji, um, I think Taiji of all of the different arts I could have studied probably opened my mind more as far as what's possible than some of the other more athletic or more vigorous arts. So I, I'm, I'm quite grateful for that early start. So then I'm assuming that was your first style. And how long did you stay with that? And did you train with your dad initially or did you find another school? I was training at home with my dad until I left uh, left home for boarding school uh, my junior year of high school. Okay. Um, so and then, I, you know, whenever I'd be home, I'd, you know, try and learn a little bit more from dad or practice with dad. But um, yeah, that was from like about 10 until 16 and then 16, 17, I was off at high school and then eight came out to Los Angeles 
Um, and then in Los Angeles, I got the chance to study with uh, former Bruce Lee student, uh, Professor Daniel Lee oh, wow. um, in Yang style Tai Chi, Wing Chun, and also um, Jun Fan Kung Fu, which is like the, the jumping off point for Qi Chun Do. Yep. Um, so I got to train with Professor Lee um, when I came to uh, SoCal. Um, at the time, I was living in Pasadena, and I was also training with two other instructors, one of whom was very notable. The uh, translator of Karate do Kyohan, which is like the Bible of Shotokan. Mm -hmm. um, and that is Tsutomo Oshima. So mm -hmm. Mr. Oshima, who is the founder of Shotokan Karate of America. Um, and Mr. Oshima uh, was arguably the guy that brought Shotokan to uh, the U.S. in the 50s, early 50s. Um, and then the other instructor I was training with at the time uh, was Master Andy Hong, who is a Shaolin master. Wow. So really, like when I came out to college, that's when I really just jumped in off the deep end. So what made you initially, obviously, you, you had that you know, initial wonderment when you were younger and started doing it. What made you want to continue? And, and obviously, you train with multiple different people. What was it about martial arts that drew you in? Ooh, um, I think what drew me in as a kid mm, in some ways may have been the same thing that keeps me so drawn to martial arts as an adult. I have to say that there's, it's like a, you know, in a, with Chinese characters, for example, right? Mm -hmm. There's an, a pictographic element to it, right? Like it's like you're, you're creating a visual representation of a thing. And then there's also an ideographic element to it, meaning like an idea that can be conveyed through portions of the character. And so because you've got layers and layers of meaning in martial arts, like you've got layers of meaning in terms of self-defense and combat, you've got layers of meaning in terms of aesthetics and artistry you've got layers of meaning or value in terms of athleticism and certainly also in terms of the culture and the healing arts i i, I just thought like man what a rich pursuit and also too at the time in the early 70s for me as a kid growing up in in, in delaware in the early 70s there weren't a whole lot of cultural um influences for me um, as a chinese american so for me that like those the martial arts for me were something that really gave me a sense of this is something that is my birthright, that is my, you know, cultural heritage that I can latch onto that is enriching on such a, such a variety of levels. So uh, I think even now to this day, it's still something that no matter how many times I look at the different martial arts, it's just layer upon layer upon layer of value for me. And obviously you, I mean, you know, continuing to study and continuing to study multiple styles, you, you still get that, that same feeling and stuff. And, uh, or you probably would have stopped a while ago. So it's, it's definitely an ongoing thing for you. It's a trip. I mean, like, I think multiple styles, the more styles I'm exposed to, I think the more a friend of mine, Nick Gregoriadis, has a great line. And he says, where there is truth, there is overlap. Um, and I think when you see so many different styles of martial arts, regardless of where on earth they started from, regardless of the, you know, the, the history or the background or, or whatever, I mean, you start seeing that there's just basically timing and geometry and that's it. And how many different ways human beings have looked at exploring timing and geometry and capitalizing on those two factors, timing and geometry, so that like within a combat situation, they can perform the best or do the most efficient work. And it's it's fascinating. So whether it's Capoeira Jiangol, whether it's Sistema, whether it's Tai Chi, whether it's Taekwondo, whether it's Southern Shaolin, whatever, right? Like to see these different styles and to see how, how there's so much overlap between them, as well as certainly a whole lot of individualism, definite cultural influences that make each style unique. It's, it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. Nice. So what made you, you know, I was reading here in uh, some of the information about you that you actually set up the first accredited Tai Chi class at Caltech. So kind of what led to that and what made you kind of want to do that? At the time I was training, as I said, with Professor Daniel Lee. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's made a, he made a comment to me one time during class that he said, I, you know, I wish I could, I was back teaching it at Caltech. Cause I think prior to me meeting him, maybe 10 years or so prior to me meeting him, he was teaching uh, a non-accredited class. Um, I, I think as part of a club or something like that, okay. um, at Caltech. So teaching Tai Chi and that under those auspices. Um, and then I remember after that conversation with him, I went and I spoke to the director of uh, physical education and I said, sir, you know, would it be possible to do a, you know, a Tai Chi class as part of the physical education, like accredited 
curriculum? And he said, yeah, sure. That'd be great. Um, and so I went back and I told Professor Lee and he, and he laughed. He laughed at me and said, you know, like I've been wanting to do this for 10 years and here you come, Johnny come lately and you make it happen within a few months. <laughs> and so that was, that was kind of cool to be part of that. And so I, I had the opportunity to not only help set that up, but also I served as his assistant during those classes. So what drew you to teaching then? I know that's something that is definitely not for everyone involved in martial arts. I mean, some kind of you know, go right to it and some just like learning and not teaching. What was it about teaching that you enjoyed? I think for me, at least when you teach, you get to really understand how to look at the movements that you do or look at something that you do and like figure out how do I make this concept or how do I make this movement digestible for someone else? So their way of learning, their way of training, their way of listening, their way of performing may be totally different, but like, how do you get their bodies to be able to reliably and sustainably perform a movement and latch onto it in a way that's growable? So in other words, like, can they pull off this movement as a one-off in which case, okay, great, that's one level of proficiency, but can they do it repeatedly and understand it and then deepen the appreciation of it? That's a totally different like challenge. Um, and so being able to look at it from the, that second lens was um, really motivating for me. So how do you think uh, your teaching style has changed since back then? Ooh, quite a lot. Quite a lot. In my early 20s when I was teaching, like when I first started teaching it, like after after Caltech, I transferred over to UCLA. And as an undergrad at UCLA, I taught Kung Fu there. At the time, there were 13, I think there, there were a total of 13 different martial arts programs at UCLA. Wow. So... And it was like the who's who of martial arts teaching there. Like Huarong Do was taught there by um, Henry Lee, who's one of the founder's sons, uh, Dr. Zhubang Lee's sons. Uh, Wushu was being taught there by coach Eric Chen, who was like one of the first Americans to be given teaching credential in Wushu. Ryukyu Kempo was being taught there by the late sensei Robert Briner. Uh, gosh. Um, and later on, not right when I first started, but later on, Hicks and Gracie even started teaching Gracie Jiu-Jitsu as part of uh, the martial arts offerings there. So one of his students was teaching Gracie Jiu-Jitsu there. Wow. Um, so it's like, and James F James Field Sensei was teaching Shotokan. So it's like, I mean, totally a who's who during that time. And I'm like the youngest guy there. Uh, and so back then, you know, when I first started teaching in my early and mid twenties, I was teaching like very hardcore, very strict, very like very precise and very intense. Now, as I flirt with 50, I think my teaching method is, has gotten to be like, let's focus on safety. Let's focus on making sure that everyone has the best, really like the best possible experience in such a way that like they learn the movements and the character development comes along the way. So it's not an issue of like, how hard can you push? How early on? Rather, now it's more about like, how intelligently and sustainably can you progress without getting hurt, without hurting anyone else? and improving your inventory of movement, improving your understanding of the concepts and the culture, and also improving your, your longevity. Okay. So now when I introduce you, I introduced you as Dr. Mark Chang. You're, you have a PhD. So yes. obviously that's not something that's easy to get. So when you were going through that intense college courses, did you find it difficult to continue your martial arts training or was that something that maybe helped you kind of get through it a little better? Ooh, I think the two went hand in hand, to be honest with you. Okay. Like certainly there were times when one took precedent over the other. Like there were definitely times when it's like, I've got to move, I've got to exercise, like I'm going to postpone this or, or like, I'll read that later or I'll study that later and vice versa. There were times when it's like, I've really got to get this paper done. I've really got to get this research done. I've really got to write this, whatever, or put in these lab hours. So, you know, the workout can wait. I think one of the biggest lessons and probably one of the most important lessons uh, in any good martial art training is adaptability. So if you're thinking like, it's always got to be this way all the time, you're probably not going to have that sustainable of a career in martial arts um, or in other, in other aspects of life as well. So I think that more than anything else really helped me understand that there are going to be times when you need to prioritize one thing over the other. And when you prioritize one thing over the other, by definition, the thing that gets deprioritized will take a hit. And that's part and parcel of the game of life. That's a great way to look at it. All right. Now you, you went to college, you got a PhD, you were still training in martial arts all the time. Now, so as if you weren't busy enough, when did the writing start? You, you've written articles for Black Belt Magazine, you co-authored a book. When did uh, some of those projects come about and what made you want to get involved in writing? 
Ooh, good Lord. I got involved in writing for Black Belt Magazine at the uh, invitation behest. I'm not sure what the right word is of my first Shaijiao teacher, my first Chinese wrestling teacher, Dr. Okay. Uh, Ong Jixiu, uh, Dr. Daniel Wong. He'd written an article on Shaijiao, Chinese wrestling for Black Belt Magazine. And the executive editor, Robert Young, I, I was part of the photo shoot for that particular article. So that's how I got to meet um, Robert Young. Uh, and then, you know, he'd contact me afterwards and he said like, you know, this article's really good. It's got some good stuff in it, but it needs some editing. Um, do you want to edit this and then resubmit it? And so I talked to Dr. Wong. Dr. Wong said, yeah, go right ahead, do it. And then just run it by me first, make it, let me reread it. And then if I'm cool with it, then you resubmitted it to, to Robert Young. And then I, so that's exactly what I did. Mr. Young was evidently pleased enough with my writing that he said, well, this is good. Do you want to write something else for us? And I was like, wow, uh, writing for Black Belt. Yeah, sure. Nice. <laughs> um, and so that was the start of how I, I started get started writing for Black Belt. And eventually he asked me, it's like, you know, these are some good pieces. Uh, would you like to do a monthly column? And so I started writing the Legends of Kung Fu column. So is, uh, is there one or two that you've written that, that kind of stand out as a, as a favorite that you really kind of remember and really enjoyed writing for Black Belt? Uh, articles for Black Belt? Or? Yeah. Either articles or your monthly column, either one. Monthly column. I, I can't remember if I got to triple digits on that or not, wow. or what the scoop is, but I wrote a fair number of those. So it like no way of remembering what the hell I wrote for the monthly <laughs> column. As far as articles, God, there, I, you know, I got to write a bunch of covers, probably like about 12 or more covers. So many of them, those articles are meaningful to me in different ways. Like one of the first that comes to mind when people ask me about a meaningful article, I, I think about the article that I got to write on my Aikido teacher, uh, Matsuoka Haruo Sensei. And Matsuoka Sensei is one of the most soft-spoken, chill, respectful, humble, hardworking guys you will ever meet. And so uh, to be able to write about him and write about his experience, you know, not only training with Seagal Sensei, but also like uh, the things that, you know, motivated him to leave Seagal Sensei and then reworking his own life after that were, you know, that was a very special article to me. Um, and to hear that um, that article still occasionally makes the rounds and then people really enjoy it and things like that. I, I, I love that. Um, the articles that I've done with uh, my uh, my master, Ogulong Nanguro, Dan and Asano, he, uh, I mean, talk about a legend. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. I, I mean, just to spend time with him is, is insane enough, is, is so dope. Never mind to like have written like multiple articles featuring him or with him. So that's, it's, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I look at that whole thing of writing and how it's changed or I shouldn't say changed, but how it's really shaped certain aspects of my, my history, my life. And, and I, I just kind of shake my head in disbelief quite often. It's, it's a very cool thing. Is it just the one book you've co-written? And, and if so, what, what led to that? If it's, uh, the one I found was uh, Huarang Do, Defend, Take Down, Submit. Right. Um, co-wrote that with um, the uh, Huarang Do founder's son, uh, Taejun Lee. Um, but I've also translated and, and done quite a bit of editing for Zhan Jiao, Zhan Jiao Theory, which is a combat Sui Jiao from my late master, Grandmaster David Lin. Um, so I had a pretty fair hand in in editing slash co-writing that mostly editing but there were some things that basically in the translation process ended up almost as like rewriting i uh, had a hand in writing kettlebells from the ground up um, okay. which is a an instructional um, on the turkish getup which is one of the exercises that we do with kettlebells and i got to co-author that with uh, my mentor greg cook and brett jones as well as Jeff O'Connor. So that was quite a great experience. And I have a feeling that there's probably something else that I've written. And I it just, it's kind of, you know, I, I'm working so often that like when people ask me, okay, so what have you done? I think less about what I've done and more about like, what do I still need to do? So it's inevitable that someone's going to listen to this podcast and go like, oh, but what about this? Didn't you do this? Didn't you do this? And I'm like, ah, yeah, totally spaced on that. That's a good thing so, about being busy though. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's, it's, I, I think in some ways I love it because like I'm always hungry for the next thing and there's no shortage for me, right? Like there's, there's no downtime in the sense that like, oh gosh, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. There's not a whole lot of that vibe for me. Like I, I get to do the vast majority. I, I'm privileged to do the vast majority of things that in, I don't know, my 20 year old me would have just been like, oh man, how awesome would it be if 
fill in the blank. Nice. Like I get to do most of those things. The thing is that like you have to be careful what you wish for because sometimes what you wish for you will get in spades. <laughs> so like I think my issue now is how do I prioritize or how do I um how do I articulate this accurately? Like how do I allocate the resources of time and energy in such a way that I can enjoy the most and accomplish the most and not burn out. Okay. So now you mentioned kettlebell. I kind of want to just touch base on that a little bit because one of my previous guests I got to talk to was a mutual friend, uh, John Ingham. And I know that's something he's heavily into. Kind of just your thoughts on kettlebell and kind of the benefits of that within the martial arts world. Yeah, um, I think it's less about, I've said this before too, I think it's less about the kettlebell itself because a lot of people were like, oh yeah, great. Like kettlebells are awesome. And then they go out and they buy kettlebells and they don't know how to really use the kettlebells. (laughs) And then they end up either as glorified doors stops or whatever and really the tool is dope there's no two ways about that certainly the kettlebell itself is a unique piece of training apparatus but the method behind it is what makes it so unique so singular and john engham and my teacher pavel tsulin will tell you that it's about the movement it's not about the kettlebell so the technique and the method that you use to move the kettlebell to lift the kettlebell to train with the kettlebell is what makes it so outstanding okay so uh, do I think that kettlebells are a great training tool, piece of training apparatus? Uh, absolutely. I mean, kettlebell training and then the methods that I've learned from Pavel Tsulin have, uh, you know, pretty much dictated the shape of my professional life since meeting him in 06. Or, I'm sorry, 04. Um, so you know, 06 was the year that I actually met John Engum because I was attending Pavel's instructor certification course that weekend. So that's, I, I met John in April of 06 after training with Pavel for like a year and a half or so. Okay. So yeah, that's nice. a story there. So talk a little bit about the K3 combat movement systems and kind of what that's about and, and how that started. Sure, sure. So K3 came about, I want to say around 08, 09. Um, I'd been teaching kettlebells publicly for a while, uh, for a couple of years, um, and then had been traveling quite a bit to do workshops here and there to try and like expose people to Pavel's teaching method, because I thought, you know, you know, kettlebells, a lot of people have no idea what the hell they are. And because they have no idea how, what they are or how to use them, they're going to look at it. They're going to look at the movements, not really understanding the biomechanics of it. And the first thing they're going to think of is it like, man, this thing's going to hurt my back. Rather, if you understand the fine point details and you have someone with a good eye who's guiding you through those fine point details, the training methods are actually highly rehabilitative. Thus, my moniker, which are or my... Uh, motto, which is make every rep rehabilitative. So with K3 around 09, I got asked repeatedly, Hey doc, so what is your workout like? You know, you do these kettlebell things, you do this martial arts stuff. Like, you know, you have all these different things that you like, like, what is your, what is your training going to be like? And at the time I was thinking, huh, you know, to be honest, my training really revolves around three Ks. And I go first is kettlebells as far as strength and conditioning, as far as a, a, a strength training tool or, or a resistance-based tool. Okay. The second K was implement-based martial arts like Kali or Kabi Kabong, which are um, Filipino and Thai weapons-based martial arts respectively. And then the third K was kick punch martial arts. So anything that can fall under the heading of that, which which can range from karate to kung fu to capoeira to whatever. So I thought about it and I was like, huh, those three Ks, K3. So I said, like, why don't we just call it or call what, I, why don't I just call what I do K3 combat movement systems? Did the search. No one else is using the term. I was like, okay, that's mine. <laughs> Nice. And so at the beginning, it was more like writing down a curriculum of what I thought was like the best way of presenting that conglomerated information or that total information as I'd learned it to the public. And then I thought about it more and I was like, you know what? There are a lot of people out there teaching martial arts already. Like what is what's going to be the biggest catch all for the public? Is it going to be teaching combat based martial arts? Or is it going to be taking stuff that's derived from martial arts that improves academic performance, improves rehab, improves general fitness, improves like how an athlete who is an Olympian is going to perform at the games? Like what's what are the how are these going to play out? Um, And so I thought, you know, like the people that actually want to learn martial arts for combat sake, like as far as actual tactical application, that's a pretty thin slice of the people that can benefit from these training methods. What if we took the best parts of these training methods derived from martial arts, derived from those three Ks, 
and then we're able to recontextualize them so that the people that are involved in pro sports or the people that are involved in clinical rehab or the people that are involved in strength and conditioning can now benefit more from that. And so that's how K3 Combat Movement Systems took its current direction. And luckily, the co-founder, my, one of my best friends, Dr. Jimmy Yuan, when I first told him about the idea of K3, he stayed on me relentlessly. And, uh, you know, he was like, okay, man, write that stuff out, write that stuff out, write that stuff out. Um, and so I'd, I'd been writing it out. And, um, you know, even during the course of my divorce, when I was like, I just want to shelve K3 and I wanted to, to, you know, just go very introverted at the time and just go into like the, the, the functional fetal position, so to speak. <laughs> yep. He kept pulling me out of that and saying like, dude, you've got this great stuff. This, the world needs to see this. The world needs to see this. And so like we did a bunch of, we did a few uh, seminars prior to the pandemic. We managed to, I think, pull off three or four of them. And all of them were really well responded to. The very last one that we did pre-pandemic was actually at Onnit headquarters in Austin, Texas. Um, and okay. that was like a sold out event. So then did you, when COVID hit, obviously, and, and kind of put an end to that for a while, now did you do some virtual stuff then or did it just kind of put it on hold for now? We did some virtual stuff, but it's been on, it's by and large, it's been on hold. The, when the pandemic hit, I think it put a lot of us into um, playing defensive. So rather than me ha having the time to then like, okay, I got to shoot all of this stuff. I got to put the curriculum down in, on, on video and then send it off. Like I, I got so occupied with taking care of my kids, mm -hmm. you know, having my parents here. So it, it got to be uh, a little bit more of a juggling act than I expected. And to be honest, I was looking forward to spending so much quality time with both my kids and my parents under the same roof because my parents are, you know, had heretofore been living in Delaware on the East Coast. Okay. They're, you know, up there in age. You know, I've been, I've been kind of riding them for a while. Like, hey, when are you guys going to move out to SoCal? And at first they were like, oh, yeah, we'll come out when you get married. Well, back then that didn't happen. And then, oh, we'll come out when you had kids. Well, my first kid came. They didn't come out. Second kid came. They didn't come out. So it was like, huh. And so they just happened to be visiting right before the pandemic broke out. And, you know, and they're still here. So um, nice. it's great. I get to enjoy the time with them. And what's even cooler is that, like, my kids get to make memories with them. So That's great. Yeah. So now do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Do you, do you have anything scheduled as far as more live in-person seminars yet or nothing? Um, not yet. I think just for liability's sake, we're, we're trying to figure out what's going to happen as far as like, you know, society reopening. And so as things reopen in the country, especially here in the States, then we'll have a better idea of, of how to allocate that, how to allocate our time and energy as far as promoting that. But until then, I think it's, it's a, that, that discussion for us at least is a little premature. Okay. Also for myself, I can say that like, it's been funny because like in March of 2020, I remember as things were shutting down, I was like, man, like my, cl my clinic practice is, has slowed tremendously. Uh, like my in-person, like I, 2020 was set to be like one of the most lucrative years for me in a long time, mm -hmm. just, just from workshop income. Um, and then like right at the beginning of the year, like February ish, you know, the pandemic hit and then like my calendar just got wiped completely clean. So I was like, man, I just kissed, I don't know how many thousand dollars goodbye. And so I was thinking to myself, man, come June of 2020, it'll be interesting to see how I'm paying bills if that happens. And then to be where I am now, luckily, knock on wood, uh, to be as in demand as I am and working as much as I am to the point where like I demand has far outstripped my availability for in-person services, in-person mm -hmm. consulting that like, I just, I'm anytime that I have other than work, I'm just in recovery mode now. So it's, it's quite a trip. Okay. And you mentioned kids now, are your kids involved in martial arts? Yes. Yes. If you have a look at my Instagram um, and check out at Dr. Mark Cheng, that's D-R-M-A-R-K-C-H-E-N-G, you'll see quite a lot of posts that involve my kids. And I remember sitting down recently with my, my daughter and, and saying like, you know, babe, you're not even nine years old and you've been exposed to like easily 12, 13 different martial arts. Um, and I remember we listed them out and she was like, wow, that's really cool. And um, yeah, so I, I'm very fortunate that, that the kids are, are relatively rece pretty receptive to all of the different martial arts training that they have the opportunity to partake in. Yeah, that's great at that age. That's really cool that they're in, 
So my, my kids all started when they were five, so I know what that's like, and, and uh, hopefully they'll... Some of them have left it, and another one, my daughter just got back into it after a two-year break, so hopefully she'll stick with it and stuff. But yeah, it's it's definitely good for kids, But which actually kind of leads leads to my next question. Just So let's say someone approaches you and just in an opinion. They want to know, they're thinking of getting my kids involved in martial arts or thinking of getting myself involved. What should I look for in a school? What should I look for in an instructor? What are some tips you'd give them? Ah, okay. So like when it comes to a school or an instructor, go in there first and observe class. If an instructor is so focused on the business or focused on some arbitrary rule that like, no, you can't watch classes or no, you can't watch this. No, you can't watch that. Then leave. My heartfelt advice to you is just leave. Because if you can't measure how you feel about the environment in the school, then you're going to be in a pressure situation. You're going to be pressured to buy this. You're going to be pressured to do this. You're going to be pressured to do this training. You're going to be like guilted or manipulated into stuff. And to me, that's not, that's not a, a, like the most ideal environment as far as for training. People have lives, people have families, people have life. So when life throws obstacles in the way, it's nice to know that you have a school that respects that you might have different challenges to deal with rather than obligates you to do something that, you know, you should want to do anyway. Right. So my advice, my very, very um, sincere advice is go in and watch class, go in and watch how the instructor teaches, go in and watch the workouts, like go in and watch the training, see what the vibe is like. If it seems like it's socially healthy, something that like you dig the vibe, the social vibe that you want to be a part of, that you get excited about. Great. If it looks like physically they're doing stuff that is aesthetically cool, visually cool to you or stuff that like you want to know more about or stuff that excites you. Great. If it intimidates you, looks threatening to you, looks dangerous to you and you see other people getting hurt, you see people getting, you know, bullied or harassed, maybe that's not the right environment for you. Conversely, if you see people getting coddled and fed like nonstop faux um, positive reinforcement undeservingly, then maybe that's something for you for you to consider as well. Like you have to be able to examine like what the vibe is like at a school or what the vibe is like with a particular instructor and then make an informed decision after that. Nice. Now you obviously your, your majority of your martial arts career has been spent with very traditional martial arts. What are your thoughts on uh, the whole mixed martial arts and the UFC and kind of the impact that's had on martial arts in general? And are you a fan? Wow. What a loaded question. Uh, (laughs) I, you know, I'm all for, mixed martial art competition. Uh, I like that there are martial arts and combat sports that people can participate in, like let's say combat sports methods, like like for example, MMA or like Muay Thai or like sport jiu-jitsu or like sport taekwondo that people can do that allow for a competitive aspect of martial arts, of, of training in a combat sport. I think jock culture or bro culture uh, in some ways is, is not the most positive influence, uh, in terms of that. But I also think that like the competitive aspect of some of these martial arts is really good because it's sort of a BS filter. Like if you claim that your art is totally solid in terms of sparring, then let's see how it performs under pressure. And let's, let's do that on a public stage. On the other hand, like, if you say like, oh, my art's too deadly, then (laughs) but you're, you have an empty hand martial art, that claim needs some substantiation. Like if you can't, if you're just blowing smoke, then people need to recognize that you're just blowing smoke. So there's, I think there's something good about MMA and, and no holds barred ish style training Mm -hmm. as well as competition. But I also think that people need to realize that the quote unquote traditional martial arts aren't um, non-mixed either. Like Shotokan, for example, is a mixed martial art. It's a hybrid of at least two other styles of karate. Judo is a a mixed martial art. It's a hybrid of like, I forget how many styles of jujitsu that Professor Kano amalgamated into his Kodokan curriculum. I mean, you look at Kung Fu styles like Choi Le Fat, by virtue of the name Choi Le Fat, that's three different styles of martial art already amalgamated into a new style. So like a lot of these quote unquote traditional styles of martial art, people think of as immutable or as unchanging or as like, you know, the 10 commandments cast in stone. And in reality, that's so not the case. Every style, every school, every curriculum, it gets changed a little bit or personalized throughout the ages. Um, And if you have a curriculum that is like, it's been handed this down this way from the founder, there is no room for personal interpretation. It's probably dead. 
That makes sense. That's actually a really good answer. I like that. So are you a fan? Do you watch the UFC or any of those at all? On occasion. I mean, like at the beginning in the 90s, um, I actually had the privilege of hanging out with the late Carlson Gracie. Oh, okay. um, so when I had some time with him and some of his other, some of his notables, like I, I made a point of watching those early, um, those early UFCs. But these days, uh, there are so many different MMA organizations, like mm-hmm. one championships in Asia, which is in Singapore, um, whom I have a, I, I have a, an athlete that has fought for one. Um, and then there are other athletes that I've had the chance to work with, um, both on a clinical level as well as strength and conditioning level. So uh, it's nowadays, I just can't keep up anymore. Yeah, I used to watch it too. I, I used to never miss one, but like you said, it's, it's happening two to three times a week now, so I can't really. Yeah, honestly, to, to be completely honest, I mean, full disclosure here, like I don't, I, I, I would love to have the time and the availability and the energy to watch all the time, but more often than not, like at the end of the day, once I get back in the house, I just like, I'm smoked. So just to be able to have enough bandwidth to do a light workout or a moderate intensity workout with the kids for an hour or so a day, um, even on the days when they're not with me and they're with their mom. Like mm-hmm. if I, if I go and I pick up the kids and they come over here and we train for that hour um, and then I take them back to their moms, it's at the end of a work day with all of the stuff that I have to do. Like once I drop them off, I'm like, just, it's a countdown for me to be able to close my eyes after that. Yeah. And I, I kind of got that feeling when we were trying to schedule this interview, I'm like, you're a very busy man, <laughs> but that's good though. It's good to be good. Please to be forgive busy. me for that. Oh that's, no, it's fine. It's, it, trust me. It's been worth the wait. So that's good. That's <laughs> it's, you're not the only, <laughs> only one I've had to you know, go back and forth and try to work, make, make a time that worked for both of us. So I'm, I'm, I'm very patient. It's all good. <laughs> So thank you for your persistence. No problem. My next question. Now, is there a one or maybe two martial artists throughout your life that you really admire, really look up to? I know you've trained with so many. Is there one or two that stand out that you really admire? Wow. Um, And they don't have to necessarily be someone you actually trained with. It could be just um, maybe someone you've you've read books by or someone that just something about them you really admire. I mean, I'm lucky. I I think, dude, to be honest with you, like if I look at, at my life over the past 15, 20 years or so, definitely like over the past 20 years, the people that I've gotten to train with and know on a personal level who I can like just text back and forth with randomly, it's like, it reads like a storybook. I mean, it's uh, there. I mean, any given day, I'll look at text messages from the people that I'm connected to. And it's, I just kind of smile sheepishly and shake my head in disbelief. Like whether it's Matsuka sensei, like I mentioned, or Oishima sensei, who I used to train with decades ago at, at Caltech, or like my current teacher, my current master, Guru Dan Asanto, or my Sistema teacher, Martin Wheeler, or, you know, my jujitsu instructor, Professor Roy Harris. These are all people that like, I, I just, man, it's, it's insane. I can't believe I get to train with them. I can't believe I get to have people like Tom Musilla, you know, legendary Green Beret, Tom mm-hmm. Musilla. Who, yeah. Uh, has been there, done that, and got the t-shirt so many times in terms of martial arts and tactical stuff that, uh, you know, having him come over to the house and training me, like, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, I, yeah. That's really cool. And and then you you get that random text from that podcast guy in Minnesota in the middle of all that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like, it's, it's really storybook. Like, I'll, I'll tell you, to talk about people who I'm, who I really admire and then their effect on my life. Here's, here's one vignette for you. Mm-hmm. When I was just beginning the process of my divorce, I had to, at that point, go to Korea to teach. And I was like, man, I don't, uh, you know, I'm going to have to leave the kids. I'm going to have to be behind, leave them behind with their mom. Like, I'm going to be away from them for a while. It's for, I think it was like two weeks or something like that at the time. Um, and I was just, just emotionally spent, physically spent the whole nine yards. And Guru Dan and Asanto knew I was, you know, stressed about it, knew I was like kind of down about it. And I remember while I was teaching in Korea, he sent me a text message. And the text message was a video clip of him training my son during the kids class. And getting to see him with my son and like the fact that he, as busy as he is, took the time to get that video clip, edit it down to just that section of him training with my son or training my son and to send it to me. I was like, wow, wow. That's cool. You know, how do you put words to that? How do you put a value to that? I mean, these are these are the kinds of things where like I look at my life and I just I just have to grin and shake my head like this is beyond dope. That's awesome. 
That's really cool. So is there a, over your years of training, is there a, one specific philosophy or maybe two from that you've learned in martial arts that you keep coming back to and really hold true to yourself? Mm. There's truth in almost everything. The trick is to find the context in which this tip or this method or this way or these techniques hold validity. So a lot of times people will look at this and go like, ah, that's junk. This doesn't work. This blah, 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 blah. Like, like, oh, that's that style of martial arts is, is false or it's, you know, and really like if you can look at most stuff and see what the context is in which it works or examine the context in which it works is, then you gain a whole new level of appreciation. And I think for most of us, since we don't yet understand that context is king, we're quick to judge. Um, and the faster we judge, the slower we understand. Great. I like that a lot. That's a really good one. That's one of my favorite questions because every answer is so different from people. And it's just kind of cool to hear their, their thoughts on that stuff. So, so kind of a, a couple of fun ones to wrap it up. So do you have a favorite sure. martial arts book other than the one you wrote? <laughs> Did you have a, a record? <laughs> it can't be one that you've been involved with, but do you have a favorite martial arts book that you either continue to read yourself numerous times, maybe when you're traveling or one that you just always recommend if someone asks for a good martial arts book, it's one of the first ones you recommend. Is there something that stands out for you? Wow. Um, they would serve themselves really well to do is spend more time studying anatomy. So if you can find an intro level anatomy book that somehow resonates with you and really like get into that, that will make your martial arts practice a hundred times more practical, like productive, not just practical, but much, much more productive. As far as martial arts books themselves that I tend to gravitate towards, that that list changes. Um, right now I'm, I'm reading um, Swish early um, and that's a that's a, a, a book about filipino martial arts history um and that's definitely one of the more um, inspiring and informative books uh, out there can you um, give that title one more time the audio cutout right when you were saying the title <laughs> okay it's called swish of the crease okay s-w-i-s-h like swishing sound of the crease and that crease is spelled k-r-i-s um, and the subtitle is the story of the moros and okay. the author is Vic Hurley, H-U-R-L-E-Y. Um, and, the st and the text is about the, the warriors of the Philippine archipelago. Um, that book was first recommended to me by Guo Inasano. So okay. I just started cracking that one open. But as far as books that I tend to read um, over and over again when I'm looking for like lighter reading and not, not something that's quite so information and factual dense, um, sometimes as far as like a philosophical book, uh, believe it or not, the Tao of Chi Quinto is one that I have read and reread more than once. Yep. There's certainly a, a fair amount of, of technical information in there, and there's a, a good bit of how-to plus a little bit of history. But by and large, like the philosophical stuff is superbly written. And I think, you know, as Guru Inasano says over and over again about his late teacher, Bruce Lee was like way ahead of his time. Right. And so there's so much that I, I think when you're you, when you've got some kind of connection to something timeless, it will make you seem that you're ahead of your time. So Bruce Lee Seth definitely fits that bill. I think the two most common answers I get for that question are either Tao Ju Kundo or Zen and the Martial Arts by Joe Hyams. Those are the, I think mm. the, those two I've gotten the most of the responses from. There's a, a nice variety of lists, but I think those two have each come up at least three or four times with my guests. So Yeah, the Tao is definitely one that like I found myself, I, I happen to have it on my iPad. Oh, nice. So, you know, I don't always have the option of, you know, packing books with me um, on my carry-on so when i'm traveling a lot of times like that's my only time to be able to read because i don't have to drive because i don't have to whatever right and yep. i can actually let my eyes be occupied with something else and so when i crack open my ipad um, especially when i'm like however many thousand feet up in the air it's nice to be able to have a resource of, of something that you're looking at and it's just it's very enriching it's very like ah there's a, that's a jewel that or that's a pearl that i didn't catch the time before I tell you, ebooks are such a great invention because I, I used to travel a lot more when I was younger and I'd pack seven, eight, nine books just so I could read a bunch on the plane. And so nice just to have them on an electronic device now and not have to bring an extra suitcase full of books with me. <laughs> yeah, space efficiency is clutch. Yes, definitely. So this one's kind of a, kind of a fun one. Now, sure. maybe a two-part question. Do you have a favorite martial arts TV show and or favorite martial arts movie? Maybe guilty pleasure type thing or just one you really enjoy or both? Ooh. God, where do I start? Movies are tough 
because these days, so many of the people that I know have done some amazing work in fight choreography, mm -hmm. um, whether it's Jeff Mata, whether it's Damon Caro, whether it's the guys from 8711, like Chad Stahelski, you know, with just within the Inasano tribe, there are so many people that have done such amazing work that like stuff that wouldn't ordinarily be martial arts genre is now like very, very martial arts rich, like John Wick, for example, like mm -hmm. that's an outstanding example of great survey level martial arts. I mean, like you get to see like the last John Wick, John Wick three, for example, you get to see traditional Sila, you get to see judo, you get to see Sambo, you get to see like Mark Dacascos doing one Hopkin Do plus other martial arts, plus some Thai boxing in there. I mean, like, uh, plus tactical shooting. I mean, like you get to see it all. And I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily look at John Wick as a classical martial arts movie per se, but it, it certainly is when you look at it. I love Donnie Yen's Ip Man series, oh, even yes. though like there's been massive liberties taken with the history. Like right. Donnie's just a pleasure to watch. Most of his movies, like especially like The Lost Bladesman, the story about uh, Guan Yunzhang or Guan Gong. Love that one. Some of Jet Li's old stuff, definitely love it. Wow. There's there's so much good stuff out there these days that it's hard to pick one. And as far as TV shows, kind of the same thing. Like I when I I was very, very late to the party. Came to watching Arrow, the Arrow series on oh, CW. Yeah. And the work that they did on Arrow was superb. Uh, God, I so thoroughly enjoyed that. And yeah, the, like not only just the, the storylines, the writing, but and, and the fighting. So it's just like, I thought that was so well put together. Love Warrior. Um, so for those of you guys that don't have HBO Max and want to see uh, some great fight scenes, Warrior is a superb one. Um, that was based off of the notes of Bruce Lee. Uh, uh, gosh, what else? Have you jumped on I, the I Cobra think, Kai bandwagon yet? Or? <laughs> I'm, I'm so late to that part. Like part of my problem is that unless the kids are around, like yep. I don't watch TV because I've got so much work to do. And I actually like my work <laughs> that, um, it's not like, I think the term workaholic is a funny one because like, if you, if you're doing something that you love so much and you happen to get paid for it, like, is that really a negative? That's true. You know, I, I it's it's a tough thing. I mean, certainly there's got to be a work-life balance right. in terms of like I'm working and I get to do this stuff for fun, but I also want to be present for my kids or present for my loved ones. Right. There's that. But I think if I'm if I need to find a hobby outside of my work, then like why not get paid for that hobby? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's, true. that's where I am on that. Nice. Um so yeah, I'm really late to the, the party when it comes to Cobra Kai. Like I've been wanting to watch that and I haven't even clicked on that on Netflix. Like there's just, I'm still way behind when it comes to finishing off like Black Lightning, The Flash. Uh, gosh, you know, I like, I love the superhero genre, especially since the, some of the writing has gotten so rich. I yeah. just actually started watching uh, Superman and Lois and was very impressed with it's that. really good. I, yeah, me too. I, I like, I'll give it one episode and I got hooked. It was, that's a, that's a really good, I, I think probably one of the best TV iterations of Superman I've seen. So. <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I got to say, if you, any of your listeners are parents, God, watch all watch that show. Um, it will it will make a lot of things clear for you. Yeah, I agree completely. It's it's I actually watch it with my daughter. So we started watching it together. And cool, my kids get involved in all this stuff that I do because they do all the '80s movies I watch and TV shows. And my daughter watches Cobra Kai because I did. And so yeah, and she watches a lot of the CW stuff. She loves The Flash. So it's kind of the same type thing. It's you know if the kids are around, I'll watch it a little more often. So. And I agree yep. with Arrow too. Arrow, I, Arrow was the first one I got hooked on. I think I jumped in in like season four, then I went back and rewatched the first four to get caught up, and kind of kind of bummed when they canceled it, and kind of really sad when I found out they weren't going to do the the spinoff that they were originally planning. So yeah, Arrow blew me away. I mean, like I didn't. I had a Netflix account probably for I don't know how many years before before I moved out to Diamond Bar, and I maybe used it like two or three times to watch an episode of whatever or a particular movie, but rarely ever watched it. And so when I came out here um, and I had more, like there were times when I'd ha actually have more time with kids. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we got in the habit of doing was like, we'd choose a particular series and then like, just go through that and go through the, the story there. Um, and so being Marvel fans, we were watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and so that's how I got into it. And uh, interestingly enough, I used to, I remember I used to tell my kids, like the main, one of the main characters um, played mm -hmm. by Clark Gregg, is actually a jiu-jitsu black belt under Hinato Magno. Really? Um, and yeah, and Hinato Magno, used, uh, his school, Brazilian street sports, used to be within like stumbling distance of my clinic. 
Um, he's since moved a few more blocks away, but um, it, I think he's still kind of on the Santa Monica, West LA border right now. But yeah, every now and then I would go downstairs to a restaurant that's just on the first floor of the complex that my clinic is in. And, you know, Clark Gregg might be there having lunch with his coach, Hinato Magno, and then maybe Ed O'Neill, who was um, <laughs> Al Bundy from Married with Children. Yep. So like you'd see these celebs there who are like known entities from the movie world or from the entertainment world. And they're, they're there because of jiu-jitsu because of martial arts. And so it was really cool. That's really cool. So one more question I just kind of thought of now you, you've obviously led a, like you said, a, an amazing life and you consider yourself so lucky with your writing background. Do you think you'll ever uh, write your autobiography? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Um, I, I say that because like, I, I think for one, that thought of writing my own biography sounds, it just, it's, it makes me insanely uncomfortable. Like, okay. I feel like, man, that I'd be, I'd have to be pretty, pretty big for my britches to be able to, <laughs> to dare to write that. And then too, like, I just feel like I don't have the time or the bandwidth to do that. Like, I can't, I mean, it, God forbid, if I was ever disabled and couldn't train and couldn't like teach, then maybe, but you know, I want to be exploring movement or exploring training or learning until my last breath. I mean, like I look at like my master, Dan and Asano, when I watch him pre pandemic, of course, Right. He was always taking lessons every single day. Pretty much. He was in Los Angeles that he wasn't out on the road teaching a seminar. He was taking a lesson from somebody. So like, I, I you know, I want to be that way. So how can people follow you? I know you mentioned Instagram, Dr. Mark Chen at Instagram. How, how can people follow you? What other social medias are you on? Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook and Twitter as well. So I'm on the big three, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm okay. um, in the easiest way to follow me and, and also to get a hold of me is it's a unified handle throughout all three. So at sign D R M A R K C H E N G. So at Dr. Mark Chang. Awesome. And then any last minute parting words, anything else you want to leave us with before I let you go? I know I've taken up quite a bit of your time already. So anything you want to leave us with? It's been an honor. Been an honor and privilege. Gosh, I, I think when it comes to martial arts, if if your listeners are, are coming to this through that lens or through that portal of martial arts, look for something that makes you happy and also gives you a way of making other people happy. Like if it's just making you happy, that's cool. But if you want to grow as a human being, look for something that gives you the ability to add richness and meaning and depth and service to other people's lives as well. Nice. It's a great way to end it. Like, seriously, I, I so appreciate your time. It's been wonderful getting to know you and, and hearing your story. It's, it's been a blast. I'm honored. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.